Hi, I'm your host, Brittany Spence, and this is In the Face of Illness. We are a podcast committed to cultivating a greater understanding of the many resources available for families facing childhood illness, because we believe this is a vital topic of conversation, not only for families in the throes of the fight, but for everyone. Ultimately, we are here to offer hope in the face of illness. Dana Kim is a board-certified music therapist at Monroe Carroll Jr. Children's Hospital at Vanderbilt, working with critically and chronically ill children and their families. Dana utilizes evidence-based music interventions to promote relaxation, self-expression, and positive coping while reducing pain and anxiety. Dana has led multidisciplinary quality improvement teams focused on assessing and reducing perioperative anxiety and recently completed a research study exploring the impacts of music therapy on caregiver confidence and bonding with infants during hospitalization. When away from work, Dana enjoys spending time with her daughter, Carolyn, and Shih Tzu's Duke and Clancy. Welcome, Dana. We're excited to have you on. Thank you for joining us from the Nashville area um, and taking time out of your busy work schedule um, to be with us. So thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. All right, let's just start with um, a little more about your role. We actually um, had on uh, Labonner's music therapist, Taylor, uh, a, a while ago on our, our podcast. And so we learned some about music therapy and just kind of the role. Um, and I know it's newer, um, at, at least Labonner wise. I don't know how long it's been a program at Monroe Carroll, but it wasn't around for sure 16 years ago when we were in the hospital. So tell me a little bit about your role, how long you've been there. Um, let's just kind of talk about that. Yeah. Well, I have to give a big shout out to Taylor. Um, I know her well. We were in a professional supervision group together and she's wonderful. Okay. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, She's been great. She's been great. And ever since she's been on, we have collaborated a little more on, um, we actually have a project going right now um, of, we had a family who for their, uh, would have been their daughter's 14th birthday coming up soon. They actually asked people to give Bluetooth speakers uh, oh, wow. in honor of their daughter. She passed away a little over 10 years ago. And so that's going to Taylor and the music therapy team for them to use throughout the hospital. So that's beautiful. It was neat to meet with her and hear their needs and then be able to meet those needs as well. So Taylor's awesome, her team. Okay, tell me, yeah, tell me a little bit about your role and what you do. Yeah, so I work as part of the healthcare team using music to provide um, both physical and emotional support for patients and their families. Um, And it's individualized to um, each child, to each family, based on their needs in the moment, um, which we know in the hospital setting can change really quickly. So each time that we meet for music therapy, it can look really different based on what those goals are, um, what the referral is for from the healthcare team, and then what's going on that moment that I I come into the room, um, which may look different than the goals that I was referred to. Um, for from the healthcare team. Um, you know, if we're in a moment of pain or anxiety, we have to, you know, address that first before we can get out of bed and get moving. Um, so really meeting that person in the moment with music. 
And do you focus on one unit, one area? Are you hospital-wide? What's your focus if you have one? Yeah, um, our team at Monroe Carroll um, is hospital-wide, so we cover all of the inpatient units, um, and our team is growing, which is wonderful. So we have three full-time music therapists on staff now, and we've really worked to um, have music therapists that have advanced skills and specialties in the areas that they serve. So I have advanced training um, in NICU music therapy and working with infants and their caregivers. Okay. Um, so that's where I focus a lot of my time. Um, we're building that program in the NICU. And then I work a lot with our infants and families in cardiology. Okay, wonderful. But then your other two um, music therapists, they kind of focus on other inpatient areas? That's correct. Yes. I used to cover all of the different inpatient areas. So I've got um, great experience working with kids of all ages and their families in our PICU um, and oncology. So I've been really fortunate to have those experiences and get to work across the hospital. And then as our team has grown, we've gotten to divide and conquer a little bit and provide more thorough services, which is great. And how long have you been doing this? Yeah, I have worked at Monroe Carroll for seven years now in my position. And what did you do before that? Yeah, so before that, I worked for a local nonprofit um, with adults with intellectual disabilities, and I did group and individual work there um, and really enjoyed that as well. But I did a lot of my training at Monroe Carroll. So I did um, a practicum and I did an internship with this team and really fell in love with pediatrics and also just the special care team at Monroe Carroll. So was really excited when a spot opened up um, to be back on that team. Was music therapy already active at Monroe Carroll? So you weren't the first position? No, um, we have had a music therapy there for um, almost 18 years. So we kind of started planning for our 20 year anniversary that'll be coming up, which is exciting. Okay. And so obviously you have a background in music, right? Like, have you always loved music? Is it one thing that drew you to music? Is it, yes, I've been a pianist my whole life or a violinist or what kind of even drew you into that? Yeah, um, I when I was younger, um, I was doing lots of different sports, not very successfully, okay. and ended up having um, some different injuries. And my brother was doing things with music. Um, you know, and I was feeling pretty down, um, just about all those changes and injuries and, um, got into music and ended up taking a voice lesson with his vocal teacher, um, and just fell in love with it. And I think it was a really great outlet for me at that kind of hard time and time of change. And so I think that really opened up this world of music to me and what an important expression that it can be. Wow. Okay. And then from there, did you pursue that when you, you know, like right away, did you say, this is what I want to do? You know, when I was going through school, um, I didn't know that music therapy was an option. I'm from Noblesville, Indiana, originally. um, And it's pretty amazing now. There's some really wonderful music therapy programs in Indiana. But at the time, that wasn't the case. Um, I had done a lot of different things with music you know, volunteering, using music, um, helping kids in my community. So I really loved music. I loved the impact that it could have, but I wasn't really sure, you know, career-wise how that would pan out. So I I did vocal performance and business and actually was here in Nashville doing some work in the music industry when I discovered music therapy. 
Okay. And, I wondered uh, what brought you to Nashville. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, so I was doing some things um, in the business side, um, you know, really enjoying um, supporting artists in the industry, but I missed being a part of active music making and ended up volunteering at Monroe Carroll and seeing what that world of healthcare was like. And that was when I really, you know, fell in love with music therapy. Yeah. And tell me a little bit, I mean, when we talk about, let's let's kind of talk about maybe a, a typical day, you know, so, and let's do it kind of two routes. One, your focus now is really, as you're saying, the NICU. And so, um, you know, let's talk about what does that look like in the realm of, you know, you have your tiniest babies to, you know, your when we say bigger babies, in a lot of people's eyes, they'd still be tiny. But to those that maybe have been there longer. And then let's also talk a little bit about what the role of a music therapist is in your older patients and in what that would look like as well. So kind of tell us a little bit about, um, you know, how you would approach a day in the NICU and kind of different types of things that you would be able to do therapy-wise with those babies? Yeah, with our infants, you know, both in the NICU and in cardiology, there are so many um, different needs that we can address with music, whether it's helping that infant to reach some kind of calm state. Um, Often we see that our infants can become really agitated, and if they're premature, they don't have the skill sets to be able to transition through those different behavior states. And music is really powerful in the way it impacts our brains and our bodies and can really help that infant transition from that state of agitation to a more calm, quiet um, state. And we can help them learn those skills to do that. And often that's harder when there's a lot of medications involved as well. So in cardiology, um, especially after different surgeries, we'll have medication weans. Um, that are really difficult for yeah. those infants to go through, but also really hard for those caregivers to witness and to be a part of when they really want to help their child. And maybe they can't hold their child um, after that surgery or that physical touch. Maybe that's painful or uncomfortable. Um, so we'll use music to help with reducing that agitation, reducing pain, but also working with that caregiver at bedside to talk about ways that they can use their voice and what's appropriate, what's not going to be overstimulating for their child, but really empowering them that their presence at bedside is really important and their voice is unique and special to their child and um, can be a really powerful tool that they can use in that moment when maybe they're feeling pretty helpless and all those ways that they're used to caring for their baby they're not able to do. How can they use their voice at bedside to help? Yeah, that's amazing. Um, Okay, so that's kind of your tiniest babies. And and even in that, when we talk about kind of your micro preemies, there is actually, at least what I kind of remember, there is a point where they're too little for you to start. Like they yes. literally need nothing that's stimulating them. So is there research that backs that up to even say really before blank weeks, we shouldn't be engaged yet? Yes, there's a lot of music therapy research about that NICU population and what's appropriate and the different things that we're looking for to know if that stimuli is appropriate and also a very methodical stepwise fashion for how we're introducing um, that auditory stimuli and the signs of overstimulation that we're watching for. 
um, to really monitor how each individual infant is progressing through that. Um, yeah. That's going to look a little bit different for each baby. Um, yeah. So there's also a lot of collaboration with the healthcare team, with that physician, with that bedside nurse, so that we're all, um, you know, on the same page with what the goals of care are for that day, for that particular baby, and working really closely together um, with them, with their rehab team too, with physical and occupational therapy. And then including the caregiver in that as well, right? Definitely. Okay. Um, many of the things that we do for music therapy, you know, are things that we can teach that caregiver to do at bedside as well and create a plan um, yeah. for them of how often to do those things, ways to do that in a way that's supportive for their child so that they feel really empowered to be um, an active participant in care, which can be really hard in those yeah. intensive care environments. Oh, yeah. I remember vividly, um, you know, being in. Uh, so Forrest was in the pediatric ICU because he had been on ECMO. And then he, um, um, by the time he came off ECMO, honestly, he was kind of so unstable and so sick. Um, but also the NICU was full capacity. And so the old NICU director used to joke with me, you know, you should have, he should have been my baby. He should have been my baby. But they didn't do ECMO. And so he went to pick you and then really, truly, if he had ever gotten stable enough, I think he would have moved to the NICU. Um, but all that to say, the PICU staff and nurses and child life specialists were really incredible with me trying to learn how do I parent this very sick he was six pounds, eight ounces. So, you know, NICU world, you know, he was honestly kind of a, a, a bigger baby. I mean, when you look at it that way, but to me, he was tiny, and then he was hooked up to, I mean, especially ECMO, just so many different things. And so I really struggled on knowing, what do I do? I mean, this is not what I, this was my first baby, so I didn't know anything. I mean, I really, you know, what I envisioned of holding him and changing his diaper and bathing him and feeding him and nursing him, all those things couldn't be done. And so, you know, the staff really walked me through as you said, um, being able to talk to him quietly, play music quietly, you know, whether it's, we did a lot of lullabies, we did a sound machine, um, you know, we did a lot of worship music, um, like baby worship. And then, you know, when we were in there, you know, gently touching him and them helping me see you know, when he enjoyed and when he didn't, you know, when he was in the mood, honestly, for me to to be involved. And then and then slowly moving to, um, you know, they taught me how to bathe him to where um, they eventually it was a special thing they let me do. They'd bring in his bucket of water and his little sponge, um, his little washcloth. And and they literally would be like, okay, because it'd be after shift change at night and um, it'd be quiet and I would turn on music and low lights and they would let me do it alone because they had taught me how to do it. Um, you know, eventually working up, he, they wouldn't, um, the neurosurgeons, because of his head bleed, he wasn't, I couldn't hold him until he was 31 days old. And so there were a lot of things that they helped me connect to be able to be the mommy. It was a very different 
mommy that I thought I was going to be, but it was the mommy he needed me to be. And so much of that was truly the staff teaching me, training me, um, showing me a different way to do it. I read to him a lot. Um, a big thing for me was, um, I would, his, his bedding was a big deal to me. So I would, you know, I'd every day come with a, a new blanket that went you know, around the bed and then a blanket that that wrapped into the little, you know, I can't think of what it's called, but like the placement where y'all will do towels and then you place mm-hmm. him in that and then a blanket that he wrapped up in and then a hat and socks, Aww. you know, like everything matched. And, yeah. you know, it was just one little thing that made me feel like, okay, I don't have a nursery and I don't get to do all these things so I can do this instead. And anyways, my point was just... People like you are invaluable not only to what you provide the baby and and provide the children, but what you provide the parents, you know, just that encouragement, that knowledge, inspiring them to be involved, to take an active role, um, to be aware of of the moments when they're doing well and when the moments that they're not. Um, And you know, I think parents are really nervous about that, that they're going to hurt them more, upset them more, cause them to stumble. But I think y'all giving them the signs of, hey, they're going to let you know, you know, whether it's they tense up or or whether it's they scrunch or or whether it's they, they you know, squeeze their fists. But like there are things to look for, you know, if they're on their belly and right. they, they pull their knees up, there are things to look for that allow you to know like, hey, we're not. And obviously even if they're hooked up to the monitors, you can tell by, you know, their heart rate and that kind of stuff. But there's things to look for that I think allows parents to know, okay, I'm a calming presence right now in their life or I'm not. And and that's okay. It may be that the baby can only do 10 minutes, you know, and, and that's it. And then next week, maybe we can do 12 minutes or, you know, maybe one day it's, you know, I, I think sometimes when our children are sick, we fret about every little thing and then we forget that, honestly, babies and children, I've got teenagers and a and a ten year old. They're fickle, regardless yeah, of what's going right. on, and they have good days and bad days. And there's lots of outside things that are affecting them. Um, you know, so even when you take sickness away, there's a lot of things that, especially in parenting, that you just throw your hands up and are like, "I'm doing the best I can. I don't know. Yeah, um, I can just do what I can." So, I just can't express enough. When a team comes together, the way that you're talking about this team and saying, not only are we there for the the child or the baby, but we're also there for you, mom, dad, grandma, whoever the caregiver is, to teach you, to inspire you, to encourage you to be the best caregiver that you can be. Um, because there's enough research out there that shows when a when a child that's sick has an active caregiver taking an active role you know they tend to to good things I don't want to say that because obviously David and I were very very involved and our son still passed but just there's a lot of research that shows the positives of caregivers being active in the role um, definitely of the child and I think you know um, whatever that outcome is just the 
the quality of life and the time that you have is greatly impacted by having that caregiver present and by fostering that relationship. It makes a huge difference. And there's a lot of science and research behind that. But I think also just from the humanistic side of that, I love being a part of those moments. I think it's one of my favorite parts of the work. Yeah. Is elevating, you know, maybe those tiny little moments that are easy to overlook when there's so much going on of just saying, oh, did you notice, you know, when you rubbed his head, all the muscles in his face just really relaxed. Uh I can really tell that your baby is loving that and being able to highlight that for a parent of like, you just did something amazing for your child. Yeah. Um, And elevating that and getting to enjoy in that moment with them, I think is so special. Yeah. Um, I just told my intern last week, we had a beautiful session with grandparents and an infant at the bedside. And I always get so excited when we see grandparents there. Um, I think one, because we've not had it as much with COVID and yeah. so many restrictions, but two, that's just such a special bond and relationship. And sometimes grandparents are a little bit nervous at first. They're yeah. uncertain about the medical environment. They're uncertain about my role and if it's okay Um, you know, for them to participate. And I love being able to be a part of that relationship and bring music into that um, and help them spend time at the bedside in a comfortable way and really see that special grandparent relationship too. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about older kids. Um, You know, you've got obviously toddlers, which, you know, in their own realm, getting them to you know, sit and listen and have an attention span is tough in its own. So tell me a little bit about, um, you know, and obviously pick you versus in inpatient, you know, there's a, a wide variety there of the ability to interact, you know, a lot of mm-hmm. our, a lot of the PICU patients are um, obviously very, very sick. And so they may not be able to interact as much, but they can still hear and, and listen and, um, Versus your inpatient who, you know, maybe are more alert and um, active participants. So tell me a little bit about those two roles. So there are so many um, different ways that we can make modifications to that treatment based on a patient's needs in the moment, whether it's, um, you know, what instruments we're bringing into the room, how we're utilizing those instruments and what types of interventions that we're using to best meet that those, that individual patient's needs and really using their strengths in the moment to help them overcome these challenges. Um, so for a patient in the ICU setting where we may need something that's more receptive in nature, there's lots of different ways that we can um, approach that care with that patient. Sometimes for our patients that may be you know, awake and alert, but they can't actively participate. It's really empowering to put them in that leadership role of telling us, you know, what does the music need to sound like in this moment? Um, And giving them all of these different choices about, you know, the rhythm, the types of instruments that we're using, you know, what what that melody line is going to be like, and even choosing people in the room to play. And that can be a great way to involve those caregivers in the room, um, whether they have musical experience or not. So we have lots of different instruments that anyone can really play that we can make that music sound the way that it needs to for that patient, even if those caregivers don't come from a musical background. Um, but that patient's really allowed to make that choice about what they need in that moment um, that's best going to meet their needs and, and feel empowered in a setting where there's very limited choice mm-hmm. 
and what yeah. their experience is like. Yeah. And for those that can be more active, you know, more involved, um, you know, do you have opportunities? I know, you know, with COVID in the past, you know, they're really staying in the room and all that stuff. But are there opportunities where obviously you go into the room and do room things, but are there opportunities even, I know y'all have the Seacrest studio, which we, the Labonner has just now grand opening happened. Um, you know, there are opportunities like that where the patients will come down and they can interact in that way, or maybe y'all bring them to a different, um, you know, area to get them out of the room. Tell me about kind of those that maybe are in the hospital for an extended period waiting on a, you know, waiting on a transplant or, you know, can't get off TPN or whatever it may be, but they're very alert, very active. Yeah, we um, we definitely work to get patients out of the room when that's a part of their goals and their care plan. And as you mentioned, especially for those patients who may be with us for an extended period of time, um, needing to have, you know, not only a different setting to experience, but different types of social interactions, you know, having those normal connections of childhood with other yeah. peers their age. Um, and it's been wonderful now that we're kind of coming out of some of those restrictions of being able to get patients together again with music. Yeah. Um, and I think there's so many different ways, as we talked about adapting that music in the ICU, that we can adapt that music in the group setting too through instruments that we have, but also music technology so that we could have a group of maybe adolescents and we could have a couple kids who maybe have taken lessons, they come in with some musical skills, and we could have another child who maybe doesn't have any musical experience. And we could set that group up for success and really individually meet those different needs yeah. and create some music together um, and connect in that way um, through technology, through the instruments that we have, that they can connect and really create something together. Um, and I think that's where the technology has been really impactful for our adolescents, because that's what they know. That's a yeah. normal outlet of expression for them. So being yeah. able to meet them, you know, with that resource and that tool and using that in a therapeutic way for that creative self-expression and connection has been really powerful. Yeah. Well, I think about even my my teenage boy, you know, I noticed with him, well, one, how often he has his AirPods in his ear. But, you know, as we're heading to a baseball game, you know, I'll often say, like, what what music do you want me to put on, you know, to get us pumped up? Or um, one of our um, very best friends for 20 plus years um, lost their daughter in the school shooting right there in Nashville. And oh. um, and so we've been going back and forth a lot. And I feel like music has really helped my teenage boys um, express their emotions, you know, mm -hmm. listening to some music that allows them to feel, sit in it and feel the heaviness without us having to, I feel like they, they feel like I bring it up a little too much because I'm constantly wanting to make sure they're okay and talking about it. And um, of course it's so heavy on our hearts with them being our best friends. Um, right. But just seeing the difference music makes in the lives of, of, you know, each, each of my kids in their own way. I mean, mm -hmm. my oldest, I wouldn't even say is, is, you know, he, he's not, as into instruments and, um, you know, really into to actual music part of learning things where my middle and my youngest, um, my middle really 
took lessons and can play the guitar and does drums. And and then my littlest loves to sing and is very passionate about singing and takes vocal lessons and does plays. And, and so each of them in their own way, you know, how much music makes such a difference to them, um, you know, helping you get pumped up for baseball games or helping you mellow to go to sleep or helping you, you know, feel the emotions you need to feel. So I think about mm-hmm. that even, you know, um, it would probably be the first thing I would do is if one of my children went to the hospital, I would make sure we had something in there music wise, because I know that difference that it makes, you know, whether it's bringing in my teenager's AirPods or, you know, a a music um, Bluetooth or or whatever else, because it makes such a difference. Um, What what would you want a caregiver to know about your job and how you could help them? And, and for, for our Monroe Carroll families that are listening, um, who currently have patients in the hospital or know they have one coming up, they have a surgery, how do they go about making sure that you or your team is involved? Yeah, they can definitely ask their nurse or doctor to put in a referral for music therapy. Um, and that lets us, you know, know that they're there. It lets us know what some of their needs are. Um, and I think in terms of what, you know, I would want them to know is that, you know, our focus really is patient and family centered care. Um, and that we know that going through a hospitalization, whether that's for a major surgery, a new diagnosis, that it impacts the whole family. Um, and that, as you said, music is a really powerful tool um, that we've been trained in, um, you know, to have this board certification and how we use music as a therapeutic tool to reach their child's individual goals and support their family throughout that process. Um, and that we really want to partner with them yeah. um, because they're the experts on their child. They know their yeah. child best. And, you know, we're fortunate to, to get to share their child with them for that time that they're in the hospital you know, and for them to know that it's a really, it's an honor to be a part of that time with their child. We know for most families, that's some of the most difficult times that they've ever experienced in their life. It's a very intimate setting. And so for them to share that with us and for us to get to share in that music is really meaningful and something that we're, you know, really grateful to be a part of their care. Yeah, for sure. Well, I can tell, you know, just speaking with you, your passion for this and how you feel called to do this. And thank you for that, because obviously you could be doing a lot of other things that maybe aren't quite as um emotionally hard, physically hard. Um, but going into that hospital day in and day out and seeing some of the sickest children in your large area around Nashville, um, is hard. And, and, um, I just appreciate you going and making a difference and, and the way that you see it too, that, um, that's one of the things we try to say all the time that when a child is sick, it affects the entire family. Everybody is impacted by the sick child. And so if we can support not only the patient, but we can support the entire family, there is, so much good that can come from that, you know, and um, we feel mm-hmm. so strongly about marriages staying intact and siblings doing well and grandparents having a role and, you know, everyone having a role to be able to support in the best way they can. It's one of the reasons we started this podcast is how can others see one, know all the things that are offered because there's so many things offered in the hospital that so many parents and families don't know about and should ask about. And then two, you know, how can 
we make sure those that are listening can know the best way to love and support families that are hurting, families that have kids in the hospital, um, you know, what we can do as a community to love those better. So thank you for everything that you do. Is there anything else that you want to share with us that you think we should know before we we um, sign off? Yeah, I think, you know, just I, I appreciate everything that you do and that your organization does for patients and families across Middle Tennessee. Um, it's so important. And I think um, I'm so grateful for the things that you do for our patients and families at Monroe Carroll and to know that those resources are there, you know, as we talked about, oftentimes through that creative self-expression of music, these unique needs um, come out through that safe space that's created. And it's so wonderful to have these organizations that I can elevate those needs to, to be able to say, you know, hey, this was expressed in music therapy, that this is really hard for this family or for this child. And to have those resources and be able to make those connections, um, you know, often in um, situations that maybe I can't fix what's going on, uh, but to be able to connect with a resource and help support that family is so impactful. And I think for families to know about music therapy is just that we serve um, children of all ages and that we can work on physical goals, we can work on emotional goals and often doing things at the same time, which is so beautiful with music therapy that we can be working in these music therapy groups and connecting teens and peers and providing socialization and normalization. But maybe we're working on some of those physical rehab movements at the same time. Um, So it can be a really powerful tool and that they don't have to be a family that has experience in music. Sometimes it's our kids who, you know, have been athletes their entire lives, but now are in the hospital with this new diagnosis and they've lost a lot of that identity. Um, And how can we express that in music um, or something that's really hard to, to express in words and music can be a powerful outlet for, you know, how we process that changing identity and connecting with themselves in a really difficult situation. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you for sharing with us um, your heart and your passion and your role and your expertise, honestly. Um, and give our thanks to to the other staff members that also are in this role as well. And know that we are here to support y'all as best we can, whatever that looks like. Um, we are available and would love to collaborate, you know, as we kind of talked about earlier, some of the ways we're collaborating with Taylor here, just know that we're available and would love to just chat more even of ways that we could support y'all and collaborate with y'all to make sure that the needs y'all have and the needs that families have are met. Um, So thank you for your time and thank you for spending time with us. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it and appreciate all your support. Thank you for listening to our latest episode. We hope that this podcast is a resource for you and a source of support. Whether you are facing illness in your own family or want to walk beside other families dealing with childhood illness. We want the stories, wisdom, and knowledge shared to give you hope. Episodes will be released bi-weekly, so be sure to subscribe today.